Hope you'll pray for us this morning during the time that we stand before you. Uh, tried to talk a little bit about some things, I guess you'd say, uh, centered around uh, some thoughts from the, the 100th Psalm and making a joyful noise to the Lord last week. And uh, just, uh, again, uh, have some of these similar thoughts, I guess, on my mind this morning. Uh, would like to turn to a few places in the Scripture uh, as a as a starting place, thank you, uh, this morning, and uh, hope the Lord will bless our bless our thoughts. Uh, as you as you know, if you were here last week, or if you weren't, I'll tell you again: uh, is that uh, I, as we think about the various gifts that God has given us and the things that we should display, uh, it seems like it's just been on my heart more lately uh, that as we think about coming and worshiping our God, uh, that we might do it more with more joy. Uh, and more joyfulness, uh, if if that's a good word, uh, than we than we've ever had, you know. And that uh, as I look at some things, and I'll turn this morning just real quickly to the uh, fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And as we look at uh, the portion of scripture that's laid out there, it talks about the fruit of the spirit. Uh, and as we as we look at this this morning, that's Galatians five twenty two, uh, but it says the fruit of the spirit are is love joy. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Uh, if we think about th- these things that are laid out here in this uh, uh, Galatians 5.22, uh, we, talk, we talk a lot, and I say, uh, I think we do. Uh, if we think about, lo- you know, about love, we talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. To love our neighbor as ourself, uh, to love our enemies, and uh, you know all these scriptures that talks about how we're to love one. A- I preached a sermon on loving one another a few weeks ago, and how we're to show love one to another. But in doing that, in doing that, maybe sometimes we forget that one of the one of the other pieces here that the fruit of the spirit has for us is to do it with joy. Uh, and and uh, and it made me several things, I guess, ramble through my mind when I think about this. But uh, the, the desire that we might do things more joyfully here uh if we think of if we think about being a child of god and i and we talked about this a few weeks ago uh in the third from the 13th chapter of the book of john uh where it talks about us uh he commanded his disciples that they love one another he said by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have love one to another well, I think another piece of that is, can, can you imagine this morning, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying we're that way, I'm just trying to stir up your thoughts, I guess, along, maybe as my mind has been stirred up along this, along this thought also, is to think about, as we as God's children, we have, we have something to be more joyful about than, than anything else that we can think about. Uh, we have more reason to be joyful. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're not just living day to day. Uh, we're thinking about the fact that God has blessed us, God has, has saved us, uh, that Jesus died for us, that this world, even as we face uh, the, the things that some of the many things that we've talked about here this morning, as we're looking at our, our friends and family and loved ones that have cancer and have kidney problems and have heart problems and have uh, others that we know of that maybe are in financial distress and other types of issues, yet we have this, as God's children here and through the Word of God, 
we know and understand that this world is not forever. This world is not all there is. That there is there is a place that lies beyond this world where Christ has gone before us uh, to make prepare a place for us that where He is, we may be also. And so, with all of that in mind, it it comes to mind to me to say, you know, this second part of this fruit of the spirit here that it talks about that we might do have more joy while we live here uh, is it seems to me that we we just need to delve into that more and think about the fact that as we stand here before God's people, as I stand before you, that I ought to have a smile on my face. I ought to come here joyfully on a Sunday morning. I ought to live joyfully every day and, and thankful for what God has done for us. So he tells us, uh, in several different places, we'll just try to try to turn and, and look at a few places this morning. But uh, uh, let's turn first to Philippians because where this is going to end up at is probably we're going to do a study study on the book of Philippians uh, and go through it uh, maybe over the course of some some period of time. But as we look at this, I want to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, and as the Apostle Paul is writing this, I'm looking at the last chapter first. Uh, or the, a portion of the last chapter, and then we'll go back and look at the rest of it. I'm going probably going to spend a lot of the time this morning setting the table, if you will, for this uh, book of Philippians and uh, how Paul came to write it. Uh, but he tells us here, uh, <clears throat> and we'll just start with the ver- first verse and, re- and read down just a little bit here. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and, and uh, as, as a fellow always once said, when, some, when you see a therefore, you probably need to know what came, what came before that uh, to explain the therefore. But he says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of love, I guess, displayed in this portion of Scripture as Paul writes to this church at Philippi and he tells them here, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for, he desired to see them, my joy and my crown. Boy, I mean, he, I mean, he is exalting them in a, in a marvelous way as he talks about this church at Philippi. He says, I beseech you, Euodius, and I beseech you, Sintichi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, my, and with other, uh, fellow, other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I mean, this is a portion of Scripture. Paul is telling them that word rejoice, by the way. You can look, at, look it up, and it's, the word rejoice just means cheerful, uh, cheerfully. Uh, be cheerful in the Lord always, and again I say, be rejoice, be cheerful. And so uh, what we'll try to do is go back and look at how uh, this thing came to be, how the, how the Apostle Paul could get to this point, and how we, he would encourage them here in this fourth chapter, uh, third and fourth chapters of this book of Philippians. But we'll go back and look at the whole book and see, what, what was Paul writing to these people and how did he get to this point? So I also want to take a look uh, at one other portion of Scripture. We're kind of setting the table to look at some of these things this morning. But in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, the, uh, the Lord had sent out 70 uh, disciples, two by two, uh, to go and to preach uh, the Word of God. And as, uh, in verse 17, it says, As the 70 returned again, 
with joy. I didn't. I don't even know that I noticed that was in there uh, as I was looking at this. But he says the seventy returned with joy, saying, "Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name." So the seventy had gone out preaching. <coughs> they returned to him with joy, and their joy is in the fact. Boy, look, look, we went out and preached and even the devils are subject to us in the preaching of your word. Now they're just, they're overjoyed with this thought. And, uh, and then he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What a blessing that these men were sent out. God gave them his protecting power uh, that they might have power over uh, the, uh, the serpents and the scorpions and the, and the power of Satan, the power of the enemy. And he says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. I think he was telling them at that time, they're rejoicing over the fact that there's been those that are made subject to their power. And a lot of times, uh, maybe we rejoice in the wrong things. Uh, but he says, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. As we, as we begin to look at these portions of scripture here between rejoice... Uh, rejoice, and uh, again, I say rejoice, be cheerful. He says, don't be cheerful because there are those that are subject to your powers here, or maybe you've, you've gotten power over, but he said, rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. I'll tell you, if we've, got, if we've got a reason to rejoice today, that is one reason for us to rejoice, is that God loves us, our names are written in heaven, uh, that we're going to be with Him one of these days, and that He loves us and cares for us even now while we're here, cares about your situation, about your family, about your life, your love, the problems that you're facing, God cares about you. Uh, and that's the reason we, if we turn back over to the Philippian letter when he says rejoice, and again I say unto you rejoice, he goes on, to he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or full of care for nothing. Don't be worried. Why? Because God cares for you. Uh, the Apostle Peter would say on one occasion, uh, cast your care on him, for he careth <clears throat> for you. So don't, don't, ha don't hold on to your worries, whatever your worries are. He says, throw your worries to the Lord. The Lord will take care of your worries and your problems and your cares and your troubles. Let him take care of that for you and don't, don't try to bear up under it yourself. Uh, it seems like I have these conversations with people uh, semi-frequently or whatever, but uh, talking about the fact, you know, uh, <clears throat> don't worry about things that uh, you have no control over. Uh, that seems to be one of our great, one of our great afflictions in life, and I'm, no, I'm talking about all of us, is worrying about things that we know we cannot control. We have no power, no ability. Uh, we, I can sit here and worry about what all's going on in Washington right now, or what all's going on in Iran, or what all's going on in North Korea, or Russia, or wherever else you. But I've got no power over any of those things. What I do have is prayer. Uh, and I have a God that rules over this uh, entire world and knows uh, the things that me and you are facing. So he says, if we're facing troubles here today, don't rejoice uh, that, uh, that God maybe has made things, uh, uh, powers, demons, scorpions, the, even the power of the enemy subject to you. Rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. I think if we, uh, if we know today, 
do we know why we ought to be rejoicing? Uh, if you don't know, if you don't know anything else, you say, "Brother Charles, you just don't know what all's going on in my life." Rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. <laughs> you don't understand what all I'm facing. Rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. We've got reason to rejoice this morning, if for no other reason, knowing that uh, God loves us, He died for us, and that we're going to be with Him one of these days. So let's set this uh, let's set this context for this Philippian letter, because the Apostle Paul writes this to these people uh, because of His great love and his great care uh, for them uh, and uh, and I, I would tell you as we when we do get to this it'll be over the course of maybe this week next week or whatever as we get to this portion of scripture I want you to remember the apostle Paul is, is writing this while he's under arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel uh, the, the book of Philippians is one of the last letters that he wrote along with second Timothy and some others then there but uh, uh, this one of the last letters he wrote while he was under arrest in Rome and so when the apostle if the apostle Paul in that situation for those reasons could be talking about how great his joy was and how great our joy ought to be uh, I think again it puts some things in context to us because our joy should not be because of our situation Sometimes we, get, we, we relate being cheerful with what's going on with me right now. <clears throat> we relate uh, being cheerful and being joyful because of how I feel. Or maybe the good, the good fortune I've had over the past week or whatever else it might be. Uh, but he, I think what Paul, the Apostle Paul drives home to us is our joy should be related to him and what we have in him and not to, because of our current situation or how we feel or what may be, we may be facing. So uh, the Apostle Paul, if we turn over to the uh, 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, and we'll begin to take a look at some portion of scripture that we find here. The Apostle Paul and his various journeys across Asia Minor, uh, it tells us here that he was, uh, verse 8, they were passing through Mycenae and came down to Troas, and a vision, verse 9, appeared to the uh, Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia, and help us. Now, you might wonder, but Philippi lies in Macedonia. Uh, and so this church of Philippians lies in Macedonia. And the Apostle Paul had a vision in the night while they were passing by Messiah. Now, he was on a, uh, a journey here uh, across, uh, uh, across the sea and so forth. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea and in and around the, time, the area of Greece and Asia Minor. And he says, they were passing by Mycenae and came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying come over unto Macedonia and help us can you imagine I don't have dreams like this uh, when when I wake up in the morning you know I, I'm thinking I've been dreaming about something and the moment I wake up I don't even know what it is I'm dreaming about but it seemed like I was really enjoying whatever it was was on my mind or whatever was going on but the apostle Paul had not just a dream but he had a vision in the night and he saw in this vision a man of Macedonia praying or begging that he might come to Macedonia and help them. And it says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Paul knew uh, that this man that was praying, come help us. And, and Paul, you know, a lot of times we might think, help what kind of help does he need? Does he need, does he need food? Does he need clothes? Does he need his house built? 
Paul knew the best thing he could carry to them was the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And so this vision that he had uh, to come and to help them, immediately it says, uh, he didn't stop and think and wait and wonder. Uh, this thing stood out to him so vividly that, uh, that Paul knew this wasn't a dream he was having. This wasn't some wild fantasy. He hadn't had too much tea the night before and couldn't remember and started somehow having some kind of uh, a dream of some kind, a vision of the Lord came to him in the night, and this man of Macedonia prayed, come and help me, and immediately, he says, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So they, they, they cut loose their, uh, from their, uh, their boat, went straightway to that area that, uh, where of Macedonia and to Philippi. And it says, And on the Sabbath we went into the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So <clears throat> I can imagine, uh, and you probably can too, uh, if you think about, uh, we've we've had the uh, the blessing, I guess, of being able to go over to to Kenya a time or two, and there's a hotel that we stay in, and one of the few little creeks in that area that uh, at least there, there in town runs back behind the hotel. If your room is on the right side, you can stand there and look out the window, and you can see people going down and getting buckets of dirty water and carrying it home for whatever reason for cooking or whatever else they might be doing. But there's also a place down there where the women come and gather together and they wash their clothes there by the creek side. And, as, uh, and you can imagine uh, the Apostle Paul, it was Sunday, it was the first day of the week, uh, and he went down to the riverside, uh, and he wasn't going down there uh, uh, probably uh, uh, to wash clothes. Uh, he was going down there to make prayer, and probably, I'm going to speculate this a little bit, maybe he went there to have prayer because he knew that was going to be a gathering place for other people, whether they were there to gather water, whether they were there to wash clothes, uh, uh, but he went down there because he knew that was a place that others would be and he was wont to make prayer at that place and he sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither and a certain woman uh, named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, uh, which worshipped God, heard us and whose heart the Lord opened and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now there's a lot going on right here in this verse of scripture uh, that, need, that we need to stop and take notice to while we're here. First of all, there was a woman, a certain woman uh, that was there named Lydia. She was a seller of purple and, and uh, as we found out in some of our studies and travels and so forth, Purple, of course, is uh, it was one of the hardest things to come by. You didn't have purple uh, uh, by just going out to, uh, and uh, taking some type of leaf or some type of, uh, uh, of, of root or something else. Uh, that wasn't where it came from. It usually came from some type of snail or some type of shell uh, that they had gone and had to gather. Uh, and so that made purple more expensive and harder to come by. She was a seller of purple, uh, which means probably she dyed certain things in color 
colors of purple uh, and sold them. And at the city of Thyatira, Tyre, and which worshiped God and whose heart, <coughs> whose heart the Lord opened and she attended to the things which were spoken by Paul. I'm telling you, uh, when I, when I look at a portion of scripture like this and I, it reminds me very much when I'm standing up before God's people, you know, I can stand up here and try to be maybe a, not that I probably couldn't be. <laughs> uh, if God would bless me to be the most eloquent speaker that ever stood before a group of people and we spoke all of our words just right of a certain way and I'd say and came forth and grabbed your attention with my voice. If God doesn't open up your heart to receive and hear the things of the word of God, uh, then my words are just words. Uh, and they're just words to people here on, on any given Sunday or any given day of the week when we might stand and preach before God, speak before God's people. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to open up people's hearts. Uh, it tells me that there was a power, that here was a woman that was born of the Spirit of God. And then not only was she born of the Spirit of God, but then God opened her heart up to receive the Word of God. And she received the Word of God and when she and that was spoken unto her by Paul. And when she was baptized, Baptized, boy, she got it, didn't she? Uh, uh, you think about the things that are taking place. Not only did she was her heart opened up to receive the word of God, but no doubt uh, Paul began to talk to her on this very first occasion about repenting uh, and about being baptized and coming forward and making a personal profession or confession uh, to come forth and follow after God. I mean... After her heart was opened up, she attended to the things that were spoken to Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that, that's important for us to, to remember uh, is moms and dads and aunts and uncles and people that, uh, uh, that have others that watch us. Uh, she had such an influence on her family that not, an, not only was she baptized, but she could, was able to persuade them this is what we're supposed to do. And her household was baptized at the same time she was. Uh, that's a great testimony to the kind of person I think she was, for one thing. Uh, but it also get, lays out something that I think is important for us. Uh, you say, well, Brother Charles, my, my family's come and gone. My family's grown or whatever. But you know what? Maybe you have, maybe your children have children. Or maybe you have grandchildren and those that you can be in, uh, and make an impression on. And so as she came, she didn't, she didn't wait around. She didn't study about, uh, I wonder if this baptism thing is the right thing to do. The, the Lord touched her heart and caused her to know this was what she was supposed to do. And she didn't wait around. She didn't wait six months. She didn't wait till she felt, felt better or whatever else might be the excuse she had. She was baptized that day. And I'll tell you, that's the example that we find. And we'll see it a little bit later on with the Philippian jailer and his family uh, as we go on through this uh, 16th chapter of the book of Acts. But when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you judge me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. She come and go to my house and be, visit with us and be with us and dwell with us. And no doubt they were, they were strangers in the land. She knew they were strangers in the land. She knew they would need a place to stay. 
and she said, come and stay with me at my house, and she constrained them. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters again, uh, masters much gained by soothsaying. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which showed us the way of salvation. Now, there's nothing that's being said here that's not correct. <laughs> this uh, this damsel that had this spirit of divination, uh, and she was being used by those that had her, and she was being used for for money, uh, so that they could make money off of her and her uh, abilities and, uh, that God had given her, this spirit, this spirit that she had in her, maybe not given of God, <laughs> but this spirit that she had in her that was able to divine or understand and, and prophesy and, and foretell things. Uh, and she was following Paul and the writer says us. Uh, it's interesting sometimes there's little things in there that you can note and say, if you go back to the first, part, first chapter of the book of Acts, you'll find it was written by Luke, who was also a companion of the Apostle Paul. And so uh, as Luke and Paul, he says, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, which showing us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. You know, <laughs> probably the first time she cried out and said, these men are the men of the Most High God. And uh, and uh, uh, and they show unto us the way of salvation, probably sounded, you know, maybe a little bit. Wow, listen, listen to this person. But then she followed them around for days and several days, and she kept crying and screaming and talking and saying this. And, and finally it says this, she did many days, but Paul being grieved, Turn to the Spirit and command, I says, I, the Spirit, saying, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out the same hour. This Spirit that was bugging them, you know, and crying after them and calling after them, even though it was telling the truth about them, it maybe doesn't say what all it was saying either. Uh, uh, but he knew, recognized this was not something that was from God, and so he called and cried and commanded the Spirit to come out of her. And it says, when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Hmm. <clears throat> 2,000 years later, <laughs> people are saying, Who's causing the problems over in the middle? It's the Jews causing the problems. <laughs> you've, got, you've got those that are parading around in certain cities in uh, France, other parts of Europe. Who are the problem? It's the Jews causing the problem. <laughs> and we could go back to World War II, you know, and so forth and so on. And they were, there were accusations. Thing, thing, the more things change, the more things stay the same. They're still a hated group of people by many. So this man makes accusation against us. These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So they go back and say, oh, well, because we're Romans and all the Romans are supposed to worship uh, Caesar, uh, that's the commandment of the, the Roman uh, kingdom uh, uh, is to worship Caesar as God. 
These men are bringing things in that trouble us. Well, they wasn't really worried about what they were teaching. They were worried because they had lost their way to make money, and they wanted to see Paul and Silas get in trouble uh, because of what they had what they had done. And it says the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, Paul and Silas, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them in into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. So, now, and, and y'all know sometimes I, I do this, okay? But, you know, so Paul and Silas, Paul had a vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul goes over there, he goes down to the riverside, he meets Lydia. He's thinking, man, this thing's going pretty good. Uh, I met this lady who has, who's, a, who's a follower of God, believer of God, and her heart's opened up to hear the message. She's baptized. Everything's going along real well. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to preach the gospel. And so he begins to preach the gospel. And this spirit begins to bug him and follow after him and call out to him and so Paul finally has enough of it that's, that's what I you know says it grieved him eventually Paul got tired of it and commanded the spirit to come out of the lady and now they've been beaten with stripes and put into jail and made fast in stocks <clears throat> and Paul's sitting in prison not really because we go on and see what spirit Paul had okay and what spirit Paul and Silas had but I'm thinking as a person like like most of us are, uh, we're sitting there. We're sitting there in prison, uh, our feet in stocks, and saying, "Now, was that vision of the Lord to come over to Macedonia? You know, come on, was that? I thought that was the Lord. You know, it's calling me to go over there. But was that really the Lord? As soon as we get into a little bit of trouble, trying to do what God has commanded us to do, we start saying, "Well, that probably wasn't the Lord in all of that. Uh, must not have been the Lord in that situation uh, uh, because look where I'm at. I'm in stocks and in prison and I've been beaten with stripes. Surely I was just imagining that God was in this whole situation. Uh, but you know, God had somebody down at the jail cell that needed to know about the Lord. And God had so much more uh, knowing all things, knew so much more of what needed to be done than what me and you need, know needs to be done. Sometimes we look at our situations and we, uh, as somebody said, we bail out before uh, we, we say, well, I'm out of this. You know, I'm getting out of this deal. Why? Uh, because, boy, things are going bad. Surely God's not in all of this. Uh, uh, well, just because things aren't going as well as we think they ought to be going doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose and a place uh, to use us in that situation. So here they are. They've been beaten with many stripes. They're thrust into the inner prison. They've made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So at midnight, they're fasting in the inner prison. They've been beaten, uh, and they're, they're in there. And so they said, you know what? We need to be praying. And when they got through praying, they said, you know what? 
glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. And they began to sing songs of praise to God. Thank you, God, for allowing us to come over here to this city. Thank you, God, for allowing us to meet Lydia. If I, if I just had, if I just have an impact on one person in her household in this community, then my trip over here was worth coming, whatever the, whatever the issues might be that I might face. And it says, as they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands was loosed not just Paul and Silas but everybody in the prison had their bonds their bands their their fastings were loosed in there and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors doors opened he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing the prisoners had fled now his biggest concern was he had been charged to keep the prisoners uh, and and I've been told at least that under Roman law if the prisoners escaped the first thing they do is kill the jailer because he was the one that was supposed to keep them in there and he saw the doors all open and he assumed they're all gone and they're going to kill me and so he drew out his sword to take his own life and it says uh, <clears throat> And Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'll tell you, Paul, this jailer had seen something in Paul and Silas and honesty and an integrity uh, that was not that was lacking in the culture that they lived in, no doubt. Here was a man who had been singing and, and praising God and praying uh, at midnight. Uh, and when the jail cells were opened up, instead of everybody getting up and running out, uh, they all stayed in their place. That would be that would be normal, would it, Brother Todd? That'd be, a, that'd be a miracle. That'd be a miracle if the prison doors at Donaldson were swung open one night and suddenly uh, uh, Brother Todd springs into the prison and everybody says, don't worry, uh, Brother Todd, we're all here and we're all safe because we saw an example uh, of these other prisoners over here singing and praising God at midnight, even in the midst of being in jail. They were praising God for his goodness and mercy to them. And this man comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? Uh, I'll tell you, what must I do to be delivered? He wanted to know how could he have a deliverance of mind and body and soul. This man wasn't concerned, I don't think, uh, of ask, he, at least asking, what must I do to go to heaven? Uh, he was asking, what must I do to have what you have? And so, uh, as they said, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, if you don't believe that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is a benefit for you and your family, then, my friends, you're badly deceived. Uh, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ will be a deliverance for you uh, uh, from this old, uh, the troubles and trials of this present world, just as we were talking about earlier. We can have a joy in the midst of sorrow. You know, how can people, when they see their loved ones uh, uh, laying in the funeral home, uh, laying in that casket, uh, uh, sorrowing over their own loss, yet joyful for the deliverance that the 
people that their loved one is passed on to go to glory. How can we enjoy that in such a great... We can have joy in the midst of sorrow in those kind of situations. And, and he says, uh, uh, they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Uh, they said unto him, when he wanted to know what they mu- he must do to be saved, they said, believe, believe, and, and thou and thou and thou and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Your family will benefit from this. <clears throat> Today... One of the great, one of the one of the great deceptions, I guess, is that there's not a, there's not just a benefit for me. Everybody's into what's in it for me. What's in it for me? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, there's a blessing in it for you, but there's a blessing into it for your family too. That uh, that you, that you might take up the principles of walking on a godly walk. That's a blessing to you, to your family, to your household, to set a godly example, to live a godly life, to have a godly marriage, uh, uh, have, in the way you treat family and children and, and wives and husbands, how you treat one another. There's a blessing in all of that. And he says, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. You know what he must have talked about? You're going to get a pretty good hit. Uh, must have been a pretty important subject to Paul. Uh, he must have mentioned while he was there about baptism huh? because he says he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all of his, straightway. So there were several things, I think, that the man learned out of this. You know, it doesn't say uh, uh, that before this time that he had given any concern or any care about washing the wounds of, the, of Paul and Silas that had been beaten with many stripes. In fact, there would probably been many people passed through that prison in times past that had been beaten, and the man had shown no care at all. But after they talked to him about the gospel and the love of God and God's care for us, then it says he took and he washed their, their, their stripes and their wounds and was baptized, he and all of his. And when he, was brought them, when he had brought them into his house, not only uh, did he do this for them, but he brought them into his own house. He set meat before them and rejoiced in believing in God with all his house. There was a change made in him so that he rejoiced. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice in these things. And they rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. And Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now they, do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. <laughs> Paul says they beat us for no cause, and we were, we're Roman citizens. Now, now they just want us to kind of slip out of here and go away and don't be a problem uh, because we've beaten someone that we shouldn't have beaten. And he says, oh, no. Not going to happen like that. If they want us to be let go, they're going to come and get us themselves and, and tell us. And the sergeants told these words to the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comfort, comforted them and departed. This is the very beginnings of the church at Philippi. Lydia and her household, the Philippian jailer and his household and others that Paul and Silas influenced during this time that they were, they were there. They go on through many travels and through many journeys. And then the apostle Paul turns back and writes to them 
this letter of Philipp, uh, Philippians that we find recorded for us today. While Paul himself is suffering in a, in a Roman prison cell, he writes and begins this by saying, Paul and Timotheus, uh, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in, G- in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Boy, they had grown during the time Paul had left them alone, during the time he first began to preach and to teach to them there, because now he's writing back to all the saints that are there, as well as the bishops and the deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I've used that several times. That I've used that probably over the last 30 years, probably two or three times at funeral services that I've done because those people were someone who were extra special to me. And I can sit there and actually think, I thank my God upon every remembrance of this person. Paul's writing to this church at Philippi. Can you imagine... Uh, as he sat in a, in, under arrest in Rome and he's thinking back about his brethren that he knew at Philippi and he thinks about that Philippian jailer who came in and, and tended their wounds and carried them and gave them meat and brought them into his household and, and the, and the two, two of the chief people there, Lydia and, and the Philippian jailer, both were baptized the very first time Paul spoke to them and preached to them. They got the message, they came, they came forward and said, uh, we have need to be baptized. Very first time. And I'll, I'll tell you, it, it reminds me uh, uh, very much, you know, I don't know how many, and this young man has passed on now, uh, but uh, uh, Brother Tim uh, McCool, during the early parts of his ministry, uh, had a young man that came with another person there to church. Uh, and the very first time he came to the church there uh, at Bethlehem in the old building, uh, uh, after he heard the message being preached, Preached, uh, he came sprinting down the aisle and fell down at Brother Tim's feet, uh, uh, asking him to uh, for, to be baptized and to join the church. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, do you think Brother Tim still has fond memories of this young man, even though he's passed on and gone to glory now? Uh, when he says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you," uh, and as he as he writes to this letter to these people, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you." Uh, uh, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Boy, I tell you, he's writing back to these people. These were special people to the Apostle Paul. He had seen the their love flourish. He had seen the gospel flourish there in this this uh, uh, before them. And he's praying for them and he's making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, whoever God has begun a good work in, do you think being born again is a good work? I do. You know what a good work, you know what a good work it, it also is? It's not just a good work for your soul. It's a good work for your spirit, and it's a good work for your body. You say, because if we think about this, he says he's going to continue this good work in you and perform it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, this is after the first coming that we're talking about here. Uh, this is the New Testament church after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ being spoken about would refer to his second coming. He's going to perform it in them till, the, till Christ comes back again because when Christ comes back again, he's going to not only have body, he's not only going to have spirit and soul, he's going to put it together with the body and it's going to be changed in a glorified body raised up before them. Again, encouraging these people. God has started a good work in you. He's going to perform it till the day of Jesus Christ in you. He could write to them with joy for all his remembrance upon them. I hope as we think about our service to God, we might do it in a joyful and a happy way and a cheerful way as we serve one another here at this place. I was thinking about one other portion of Scripture, or a couple of places of Scripture, uh, as we think about this. The, the Apostle Paul, in writing the book of Hebrews, uh, tells, tells those that are there, he says, in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, he says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. It's unprofitable for you if I try to serve you in a, in like, well, okay, I've got to do this. Okay, I guess I've got to get up here and preach this morning. Oh, I guess I've got to go out to the hospital. Well, you know, I could be doing other things, but, you know, I need to be doing it. You know, it's for the joy that's set before us. Do it with joy and not with grief. We ought to serve one another with joy. Come into his uh, courts with singing and praise and make a joyful noise to the Lord. The, uh, the apostle also wrote for us and recorded for us uh, as he looked back at those Old Testament saints, and I think I used this last Sunday, but I'll close with this in Hebrews 12. When, when Christ came and died for us, the Bible tells us that, uh, that we, seeing that we're gathered, accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, talking about all those Old Testament saints that are laid out in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ didn't look at it uh, totally, I don't think, and, and he didn't look at it and say, well, the Father says I've got to do this, so I'm going to do it. No, he was actually doing it for the joy that was set before him because he was looking at the big picture. He was looking at the outcome. He was looking at the salvation, the purchase of a bride. And when they were beating him with many stripes and when they were nailing him to the cross, he was looking for the joy that was set before him on the other side, looking at the resurrection and looking at our redemption and looking at our salvation. So for the joy that's set before us, the fact that we get to uh, enjoy a great day of fellowship with our Heavenly Father one day, for the joy that's set before you, let us serve Him with a joyful, happy, cheerful heart. May God bless us to be more joyful in all that we do. And as we study this book of Philippians, I think you'll see... Uh, a, a, a people that the Apostle Paul uh, noticed their, their joy and their joyfulness and writes to them in that way. May God bless you is our prayer.